The episode today is a replay from the Fringe Legal Virtual Summit. This took place earlier this year and hundreds of people attended the sessions. Just in case you missed this particular topic or perhaps wanted a refresher, we're presenting it here unedited and unaltered. Please enjoy. Before we get started, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Fringe Legal Newsletter. This is a weekly roundup of interesting things. Every Sunday, I send out an exclusive email with three to five of the coolest things we've explored that week. It could include exclusive content, sneak peek at future projects, books, articles, or new hacks. The emails are available only if you subscribe to the newsletter and more than 530 people receive it every single week. You can join up at fringelegal.com slash newsletter. It's completely free. Hello and welcome everybody to this wonderful panel today. I am joined by a truly international force. Uh, We'll get to their introductions in a moment, uh, but before we do, just so we have theme of the panel today, it is all about the global innovation viewpoint, essentially triggered by the initiatives and projects that have sprouted to address the, the crisis that we find ourselves in at the moment, which may also serve as a lesson for any other things that happen in the future, and will certainly cover a whole host of things. But before we do that, as I said, we have a very international panel. We'll start with some introductions. So to my virtual uh, is Tao. So Tao, could you kick us off with who you are, what you do, and where you are in the world today? Hi, everybody, and thanks, Av, for having me on today. My name is Tao Tran. I am the knowledge management uh, manager for Free Frank. We are an international AmLaw 100 law firm based out of Manhattan, New York, and I am also in Manhattan, New York right now. Awesome. And Terry, you're next on my list. Good morning, Ab. Thanks very much for, for having me. I'm uh, uh, Terry Modisset. I'm the Executive Director of the Centre for Legal Innovation at the College of Law. I lead that centre in Australia, New Zealand and Asia. I'm a former practising lawyer uh, and also a consultant. The, uh, the centre is a think tank. We look at and analyse market trends and then we translate them into uh, practical solutions that can be used by and in the legal ecosystem. So not just lawyers, but everyone that um, touches the legal ecosystem. So we're big on collaboration and experience sharing and bringing people together. And thank you for the opportunity to be part of this group brought together. Absolutely. And I'm sure we'll be touching on a lot of those topics today. Barbara. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Barbara. I'm a lawyer from Brazil, and I'm really excited to be part of this panel, along with this amazing group of women, and Ab as well. (laughs) 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 And I'm currently head of knowledge management innovation at Rocha Marim Salles. It's one of the biggest law firms based in the northeast of Brazil, and I've been working there for the past 15 years. And I'm in Fortaleza right now in my house with my family. Awesome. Wonderful. And pretty. Yep. Hi, thanks, Ab. And likewise, I am very excited to be here with all these amazing women. They are truly legendary in my eyes, so I do not feel worthy. (laughs) 
My name is Priti Saraswat. I am a knowledge management consultant. I work with in the US and internationally to help them discover new tech and to help them strategize on how to innovate from within. And I am also the content strategist at Fringe Legal. And I am currently in Chicago, Illinois, but I'm originally from the UK, as you can probably tell from my accent. <laughs> awesome. And yeah, and firstly, thank you everyone for joining me today. I know uh, we are in pretty much all, all corners of the world. And uh, for all of you, this is either very late in the evening or quite early in the morning. So I appreciate the time. So we'll cover quite a lot today, but I guess a good place to start is going to be talking about knowledge and innovation. Those are two terms that get thrown around quite a lot, frankly, and they mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So I guess as a starting point to set the baseline for this discussion, what does that mean for each of you? Uh, and Terry, if you can start with you, and then um, I'll go to the next person. And by the way, if I do my job today, then I will have to break up plenty of conversations. Uh, so please do chime in. And before Terry, you, go st you get started, for anyone who's watching this live or as a replay, please comment down there. Uh, there's a comment section contribute to the conversation, share this with other people. We want to actually grow this discussion. We probably won't be able to tackle any questions at all today since we'll have a lot to cover, but I'm sure all of the uh, panelists will want to know what your views are. Thanks, Gineb. I guess I'm going to start with the innovation part of it, which I guess you want me to, given <laughs> that I lead the Centre for Legal Innovation. The way that I look at it is that Innovation is essentially change, but it's not invention. So we're building on something that's already there. So for me, it's change, but it's got to have a purpose and it's got to have a value and it needs to be focused in some way. So it might be something that you're doing for clients. It might be your staff. It might be a firm or organisation or, or all of those things. I also don't see innovation as a one-off. I think the reality, and just drawing on some of the comments that you made at the beginning, where we find ourselves today is that really what we're looking at right now in the legal ecosystem is a mindset change and a focus on continuous improvement. See that as a huge part defining innovation, particularly in the legal ecosystem right now. But I think it's also for the same reasons about agility and adaptation and resilience, of course, because with any innovation, you're not going to always succeed. You want to fail fast as the the kind of the expression goes and learn from that and move on but mostly about innovation I think it's so exciting I just think in the legal ecosystem our opportunities for innovation right now um, looking at something good coming out of a horrible tragedy is really something that we should seize and I know we're going to get into more on those conversations and knowledge to me now is what legal firms in particular do not sell they sell experience but being able to leverage that experience of a knowledge base and an expanding definition of knowledge that i know a town barbara are going to get into it's not about dusting off a book in a library anymore it's about so much more and really making that knowledge available particularly with the addition of data analytics in that fray to make great decisions incredibly important amazing and uh, i guess let's start with you tao uh, since i know you have a small team of of knowledge professionals that sort of work that you guys work as part of uh, free frank 
how, how do you think about innovation and knowledge? And then we'll start getting into how things may have changed in the current climate as well. Oh, you're muted, Tao. <laughs> Rookie mistake. Apologies. <laughs> no, I, I want to piggyback off of what Terry said. Innovation to me is, I, I, when presented with that question, I first looked online just to see what people define innovation as. And the definition was supposed to be a new method, idea, or product. And for me, I thought, but a new method to who? What is standard procedure or product to somebody? Might be brand new to someone else and might be innovative to others. And to me, innovation really is for a small team of KM professionals in a big law firm. It's really introducing concepts, practices, and tools that uh, my colleagues might not have heard of, have not used before, or maybe they have been exposed to it, but they haven't had a chance to implement it in a way to solve issues that they experience every day. And for me, that is what a knowledge management attorney does in terms of innovation, bringing new ideas, fresh ideas to people who might not have been exposed to them before. So to me, innovation in KM isn't like being the next unicorn startup or being Elon Musk, although we have some of those people in our legal technology, which I'm very grateful for because they bring me the tools that I need. But on a day-to-day, on-the-ground kind of experience, it's really to respond to attorneys' pain points with solutions that they didn't know exist. And I really do think innovation changes with context. Mm Innovation for a small law firm or a firm without KM is very different for an innovation for an international law firm because they each have different cultures and they have different needs. And when I say I wanted to piggyback on what Terry said, this is what I mean. It's the ability for a KM lawyer to be able to pivot and give that personalized experience to each of the attorneys that they work with to come up with solutions that feel very personal to that Mm -hmm. attorney or to that group. And I think in this crisis, there's a lot of opportunities for KM attorneys to do that. Awesome. Uh, Yeah. And and we'll certainly get into a lot of that as well. And, and Barbara, and just to, to segue from there, when we spoke yesterday, you mentioned a quote uh, from Joy, which was around, crisis is an opportunity in disguise. And I'm paraphrasing, that may not be the exact quote, but that's the sentiment behind it, certainly. And especially in Brazil, I know the KM function is somewhat new uh, as a concept and certainly maybe in its infancy, and that may not be the fair way to say it, but certainly there's a lot of things happening very quickly. Yeah. How do you think about innovation and knowledge? Yeah. I was looking for what Joyce says. That she says that a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. So it's, yes, it's opportunity everywhere. So it's a terrible thing to waste, and that's how I feel. And funny thing, uh, like just a few days ago, I w- I attended a virtual roundtable here in Brazil to talk about the impacts of COVID in law firms here in Brazil. And during the conversation, they were talking about. A research they made with over 600 law firms in the country and one of the questions was do you have knowledge management initiatives and I said wow I, I, I haven't heard of knowledge management 
in Brazil as a practice before. So I was very attentious to the discussion and further they exp they explained that knowledge management for them or for the question was do you organize your documents in a proper way oh my god and for my i was odd that only 37 percent said yes so even that so this is when i'd say that knowledge management is not recognized as it's not usually a practice in law firms like we don't have a team of knowledge management usually we now do because we have other firms that are international and they have knowledge management teams that work here in brazil with these firms but it's not something that's very common it's not something that we see in law schools it's not something that we learn mm -hmm. and uh, i'm very fortunate to have been working in a firm for the past 15 years that's not committed to the past. So it's something that I learned from my professor, which is one of the partners of the firm. And she says to everybody, every meeting that we have, we're not, we don't have a commitment to the past. So what we did till yesterday brought us so far. And now we have to see ways to do it better and better. And for me, we have, I, I think the core of our business, the core of our firm is to have an, an innovative mindset in a way that we have to do things. We want to do things more efficiently and we want to do what our clients need and our clients are facing innovation themselves. So we have to adapt to what they need and to not be reactive because lawyers are usually reactive and clients complain about that. So doing what they need and being able to provide what our clients need and to provide things that they were not even thinking about in a ways of different ways. It's what we think it's innovation. And for me, having this opportunity to have a knowledge management team in a law firm here in Brazil, it's amazing. And funny thing is that we don't do, we don't take the recipes of what other firms are doing and we bring inside and try it ourselves. We start doing things that we think are important to attend our clients. And then suddenly we, we discover that there is a name for that. And then this is what happened with knowledge management. We did knowledge management for a, a long time. And we realized that when we were reading a book about knowledge management and I said, wow, we do knowledge management, knowledge management. And so then came ILTA and other conferences in the US to, to talk about it with other people and bringing value to this and making our knowledge management team adaptive to what we have to our clients. And I think we're gonna talk more about it during the conversation, but this is what I think of innovation. Innovation is something very fluid. It's something that happens on a daily basis. It's not magical, it's not shiny, it's not something like this. It's something that you do to be on the game and to attend your clients, something like this. Awesome, and yeah, and as you were talking about looking at how other firms have done this and looking at this essentially recipes, um, pretty, I guess uh, that's a good pivot to you because in that way, maybe let's think of you as the chef who goes in and is supposed to bring the recipes along with you to help educate other firms on the broader spectrum. So they can hopefully learn from each other as well as, as they do from the community. So how do you think about it and how do you position it as a tactician for innovation? Yeah. So I think when I was first thinking about innovation, <laughs> I think a lot of the sentiments of what the other ladies have said have been quite true. I think there is an essence of creativity, strategy, methods, problem solving, processes, all these kind of things. But I think especially since 
this whole crisis has come about. I think that there's a lot more, I guess, focus on, like Barbara said, fluidity. I think you need to be a lot more agile about how you go about doing things. And I definitely think that there is a lot more collaboration required now. I think there are obviously organizations like ILTA who were allowing for cross collaborations across different firms. And also as an organization, it allows you to discuss things like roundtables with CIOs and KM and all that kind of stuff. But I think that now it's become more of a necessity as well to be able to collaborate more because I think everyone's going through the same crisis and everyone's experiencing similar experiences but they're also experiencing different things at the same time and to Tal's point where she said that internationally everyone is facing a different kind of experience because culturally they're different so where there was already that challenge if you have an international firm where you have to take into consideration everyone's culture now there's also this added addition that everyone is obviously having other issues like working from home and just having to adapt their environment. They can't just go down, like down the hallway and speak to somebody. They can't just pick up a desk phone and say, hey, can I come and speak to you for five minutes? It's a completely different experience. So I think there's a definitely a heavier emphasis on collaboration. So I feel like that's probably quite a paramount word when it comes to innovation now and especially how I think about innovation going forward. Yep and uh, I guess all, all of you have mentioned collaboration in some form or other uh, and pretty well you talked about is you know, how everyone is feel basically going through the same thing but experiencing in a different way. I think that's quite key to it and to how you, you talked about this a little bit in how it needs to be responding to your attorneys, your lawyers' pain points, right? How you think about it from your team's perspective. And so talk a little bit about what that means now. So what's happened in the last sort of three or four months? Uh, how have you and your teams and the firm responded to the opportunities and, and any sort of projects that come to mind that you've had to pivot to that you may not be thinking about? I know that's certainly been an accelerant for a lot of people. How do you deal with that? Uh, I have been blown away by the managing partners at my firm and how they've dealt with this crisis. Mm -hmm. From the very beginning, they started a coronavirus task force, which were headed by the thought leaders in each of the practice group that we had. And then I was pulled into it to help organize all of the information that they have collected because as everybody knows there's just especially in the u.s and terry and barbara maybe you ladies can give us what it's been like in your countries but here the legal changes that has that have been happening is just so quick so fast and it varies from state to state barbara i remember you mentioning in brazil how there are something like 50 or 60 provinces when you were, we were speaking about it yesterday. So in the U.S. we have 50 states. So we have, and then we got associates and other attorneys involved in subcommittees mm -hmm. to track all the legal changes in all 50 states um, across various practice groups. And within about two days, we, aside from all of the uh, specialized client memos that we also publish, we created an internal 
intranet site to cons to have a one-stop shop place for all of this information to be there. And this is not just for our attorney's benefit, this is also for staff. And not only do we deal with the legal developments, we also have subcommittees to deal with the health and wellness of our attorneys and staff, community involvement, how we can Everybody is stuck at home, but I think there, the collaboration, the human spirit is we want to give back not only to our legal community, but also where we live, where we used to do a lot of volunteer work. Now, how do we do that within the boundaries of the four walls that we're all quarantined in? Things like that. And just concretely in terms of KM, it used to be, uh, for me, I would run discrete group-specific KM projects. And now, because... Again, I'll go back to just the volume of information that has come in. It used to be each of the uh, different practice groups, they have their own daily uh, list of news articles that are supposed to pertain to what it is that they're practicing, whether it's IP, M&A, yeah. banking law, but now it's become too much. So now every day I actually myself read through all of these. <laughs> it's like, there's like 20 of these different lists but I pull out the ones that are relevant to each group. And this is what I'm talking about being in KM is managing the information, but turning it back around in a way that is more white glove, personal service, if you will, because the attorneys, we read the news now. I feel like everybody reads the news now just for their own personal benefit. And I don't feel like the attorneys want to read uh, across 50 things just to find the snippet that they care about. So now I do that for them. Yep. Um, so there are personalized weekly emails that I send out. I don't want to take up too much more time, but the crisis really has pushed myself and the team to pivot and do things that we normally wouldn't think that we do, but we're happy to pitch in and, and wear additional hats, if, if you will, just depending on where the need is. Yeah, and l let's dig into that in a minute uh, a bit more. And uh, I do want to give... Terry and Barbara, the opportunity to answer how things may be different in their countries. And certainly, uh, I think, Barbara, when we were talking about yesterday, you said, I think there was something like 27 different uh, provinces and so on in, in Brazil, yeah. each with different things going on. And I know one of the highlights you mentioned was, I think two weeks ago, it was the first ever Supreme Court virtual hearing that was broadcasted. So yeah, how is, and of course, I don't want you to speak for the whole country, yeah. <laughs> but how are things changing for, for you and the firm? And how are you guys responding to it then? Yeah, so here in Brazil, so in February, we had the first cases, like mm -hmm. confirmed. And in early March, local governments started to enforce social distancing, so sure. 27 states. And so with a lot of municipalities saying different stuff and depending on the, the amount of cases that they had. And with that, we started to deal with non-uniform measures from different local courts. So we have 91 courts in Brazil. We have 27 states, but we have 91 different courts with 150 different systems, like virtual systems for these courts to, to check the processes and to work with the, the electronic processes. And our legal ops team that's under the, the KM umbrella, we, we, we recently created a, a legal operations teams at the, uh, in January. And so they had to put their hands to pack up, to push their, their sleeves. Sorry for my bad English because I'm the holder speaking in crazy Portuguese with these <laughs> people and now I have to 
switch. And so the legal ops team, they started to gather all the data from all these courts and to make it available like for everybody at the firm. By now, everybody was at home. So we had 900 offices because we had 900 people home off at their homes. And just on March 19th, we had the National Council of Justice decided to suspend all deadlines in judicial lawsuits. And because of that, there was a rise in the possibilities of virtual hearings, virtual sessions. So in the Supreme Court, the first session was on April 15th, the, the first time we had a hearing from a lawyer speaking to the court in a virtual session, and it was broadcasted on YouTube. Yeah. So it was, it's changing very quickly and we have to deal with that. So we have, I'm happy to have been working for this, even though we don't have a playbook to deal with the pandemic. Yeah. We've been working to deal with the future and to use technology on our favor. And since we've been working on that, we were able to put everybody in their houses and accessing their files. We've been using, we're in the, in the process of implementing our DMS. And people were not, oh, we don't need DMS. We need, we have our files here, everybody. We were very work on site in the firm with our desktops, everybody. It's, it's good, we have a good environment right. at our firm. Everybody loves going there, leaving their kids at school, go to the firm, have coffee, talk and work. Right. And now just in the blink of an eye, everybody is at home with their family, homeschooling their kids and dealing with all these changes. So since we've been, we've been preparing our technolo technological infrastructure and with this, the systems that we've been, we've been carefully working through and because it's difficult now because everybody now has to buy technology to deal with the remote work. And if you have to do it in a hurry, maybe, or probably you're gonna make bad decisions. And so I'm happy that we've been working on that very carefully with, the, with a lot of committees, a group of people dedicated on, for that. And our legal operations team is very now organized yeah. and yeah it's and we have to be prepared to the ever-changing future because i don't know how long we're gonna be like this and i think the work from home is something that's not gonna disappear with i i hope everybody goes to a kind of normal life that we can go out and go right. to our firm but we don't have to we can yeah. have this more flexibility and i think it's it's helping us to accelerate yeah. this process because yeah. lawyers and some, even some clients were very they didn't they wanted to see the structure of the firm they wanted to see all the lawyers that work for them and mm -hmm. everything we, we work with litigation so right. we have a very huge team for that so sure. clients want to see that they visit our firms monthly <laughs> And yeah. they want to see that. And now the mindset of everybody has to change. So it's good for us mm -hmm. because we're getting ready for that. Yeah. And I think both you and Taos touched on it a little bit about how there is this influx of data, information, and all of these things are changing that you have to tackle in a different way. You have to be able to aggregate and you have to be able to tell you said to summarize. Barbara, you have to use, utilize your legal ops team and function that probably wasn't focused on this before has now mm -hmm. become probably essential for, for your business. And I know Terry, when, when you were talking about initially what innovation meant to you, uh, data and analytics were uh, two, two keywords that certainly I wrote down. 
but how do you approach this viewpoint of certainly having some of these things and by, by no means are data analytics new concepts uh, people have been talking about it again as all of you have said things have changed they're changing fast and they will continue to change how do you think about this looking not just ahead but what's happening right now i think that we're we're going to see this ultimately change in stages or phases and so i think when we were chatting yesterday i we are all working at the moment on really putting out the fires just getting ourselves situated in the sorts of ways that Tao and Barbara were talking about. It's, it's a Band-Aid or a patch approach to try and, I guess, push forward on things us innovators have been hoping would happen for a long time, but now they've happened en masse, they've happened globally, and it's been the greatest experiment in innovation that we possibly could have imagined and also the greatest proof of concept. And so for me, it's okay, we've, we've got this phase, but then we will eventually move into the next phase when it all settles down, as Barbara was saying, perhaps for the long term. And ultimately we'll get to the phase where we'll be able to look at lessons learned and what's entrenched and what's not. And I, I was reading recently and would commend to those of you that haven't had a chance to look at it, a series of, I'm going to call them the pandemic articles from Jordan Furlong, who is a legal analyst and commentator out of Canada. And I think what struck me out of that, and I will paraphrase this, I'm sure inadequately, Ab, but I'll have a go anyway. But I think before we were seeing as innovators, a lot of these changes really just happening as patches and yeah. hoping for the best. But there's another way of looking at it, and I think the way that we should be looking at it and what Jordan kind of commends, which is what we're really seeing now with those patches is the foundation of a completely different legal ecosystem. Yeah. So rather than seeing them as patches and what we'll go back to, seeing them as the foundation for permanent change. And mm -hmm. I think to go to your point directly, that's what we're looking at right now. Yeah. We're looking at a permanent change because everybody has had to make these changes, including our clients, including our staff, yeah. all of which are key stakeholders in our firms. Mm -hmm. So I think, and I think the other big thing to me that's come out of it on just on that collaboration point is a deep understanding of the fact that these solutions will not be found in other than a multidisciplinary environment. So lawyers alone will not solve or identify yeah. these issues. It has to be with all of the other specialists in the legal ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And that's where we'll see those permanent changes becoming a reality in the long term. Yeah. Short parameters for change now, much shorter than they used to be, but yeah. permanent for sure. Yeah, and for any of you that don't know Jordan, he's actually speaking what will be tomorrow uh, on the 7th uh, at part of the conference. So he's giving a quick overview of uh, essentially a brief synopsis of his long pandemic papers. So as well, well worth a listen tomorrow. Pretty, Barbara talked about essentially, and actually Terry also referenced it, right? How this has been a greatest experiment. It's happening en masse. It's affecting everyone. One of the things, certainly when we think about change management, when we think about 
how things are implemented. And I'm giving, I'm basically putting a tactician's hat on you <laughs> as someone who's a doer. Yeah. One of the things that certainly in all businesses you hear is, oh, we're too busy. Oh, there's other things to do. There's other priorities. Now, at least to me, that sort of facade fades away where it becomes a much more equalized metric where look, I'm in it together, you're in it, and we're doing the same thing. And guess what? We all have the same amount of time. And you can't lock yourself away in your office anymore to hide away from the problems. How, how do you assist firms in, in under normal circumstances, probably better circumstances, in accelerating that change and managing that change? And what are things that people should think about now as that's happening in, in Terry's work as the greatest and the biggest POC they'll probably go through. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> so yeah, definitely. I think previously, as you said, in normal, under normal circumstances or a little bit more normal than what they have now, I guess when everyone was still working within a firm and in the same place, a lot of the times, especially I found when like new innovation um, or new software was being brought into the firm, or if there was new technology that perhaps the functional side of the firm felt was necessary for certain pain points for different um, groups and different practice groups, especially often it would, you would need a focus group to test this things, these things out and actually see whether it's what works for them because ultimately they have to be the ones to test it to know whether it's going to be useful for them or not and I think there was always this oh but as much as we need this we don't have the time for it as you were saying that they hide behind this I guess this excuse for lack of a better word but just they just often it's like I have this other legal thing that I need to do or I need to get this stuff out or I have this work I need to do or of course clients come first so you have to put that ahead of everything else and I think now it's becoming a necessity I think where you have to work from home and again you don't have that direct access to people it's becoming a necessity for people to understand how the technology that the firm owns or what's available on their machine how it actually works. I think often when you're trying to train as well, naturally people's minds are somewhere else if they have a deadline coming up and they're sort of half there and half not. And sometimes they might miss certain things and then they realize they didn't actually hear it, but often they'll come back to that person and say, hey, can you just remind me how this is done or show me again? That's again difficult sometimes when you're not in the same place because someone can't just point to it and say hey press this or go here so that's becoming a necessity and I think there's now more of a focus on training and adoption and implementation I think also I'm hearing from firms that I've worked with before that they're saying that technology that they were originally taking their time to implement so that it was in line with more of like an office upgrade or a desktop upgrade and then adding those new pieces of software in with that image. They can't do that anymore because they just don't have that luxury of time. So there's a lot more, I think, emphasis on just being able to implement it and then 
writing with it and seeing whether it works or it doesn't. So there's also that change. But as you said, if it was in a normal environment, I think there are many ways that you can go about this. I think it's also firm dependent. I think it depends on how many people are in a practice group, how the practice group operates, what kind of functionalities are within that firm, because there are obviously some firms that have KM, some firms that have innovation teams, some firms that have none, some people have trainers, some people don't. So I think you have to work with what's actually in the firm as well. So I think you can go about it in different ways. As I said, there are focus groups, pilot groups, you can do mini trainings like 15 minutes or 30 minutes. I know that now some of the firms that I was working with have also told me about videos that they've had to make to be able to accommodate with working from home so people can watch 15 minute tutorials at home because that's the only way that they can really understand how to use it and they can see screenshots and see on the screen how that person is navigating their mouse in order to be able to learn how to actually use that software or that technology. Yeah. And I guess the, the, you know, the key thing is you, you take away that luxury of time and many other luxuries, frankly, uh, that people will have. Uh, Tao, I saw you nodding along as, as Pretty was talking a little bit. So I'm, much. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you're, you're living through this with hundreds and hundreds of people. And, and you talked about before how to you innovation knowledge is all about sort of exposing people to ideas they may not have been exposed to in the past. And for you, pivoting based on the context, right? There's the idea of context switching. What does that mean now? What are you doing? What did you try that didn't work in the past? And you went back, you had to go back and say, we probably need to do this today because frankly, we have no other choice. If you're able to talk to any of those kind of examples, it'll be really good to hear. No, I definitely, I agree with everything that Preeti said. I'm going to pick up exactly where she left off with just a very concrete example. I And I think Abby, you're, definitely hit the nail on the head in that in the crisis that we're in for at least our the legal profession it really strips away the fanciful ideas of what we need and what we want versus now it's literally survival mode so it used to be like you guys said when we brought in technological tools or processes or vendors there's this really super long period of trying getting the right people to trial versus now it's it's really funny we just did a proof of concept today and there was this tool that I was just so excited about as a practitioner i saw what it could do for an attorney and i was like this would make them so much more efficient i went to the right group I asked the right people. I got them on the webinar to see the demo. And uh, a little bit like crickets in the room, I have to say. Right. And I came back to them after the demo was done. I reached out to them. How was it? And they didn't. It was just a very lukewarm mm -hmm. uh, response. And that tells me volumes. The fact that you didn't say anything right. in this day and age where as an attorney, if there was anything that makes my workday easier, I would just grab it. And the fact that they didn't grab it, yeah. that they weren't that excited about it, tells me this is not something they need. Yeah. Um, sometimes a negative can be a positive in that it gives you a really clear, loud message versus 
There was another tool where I was also very excited about. I brought it into, we showed it to completely different groups of people, really hoping it would catch somewhere. And it's just lied there on the table. And right after the app, the pandemic hit, and we we're all working from home, our IT people told me that they, they just bought it last night. Oh, you did? <laughs> and the need really becomes apparent when when we all have to hunko down and yeah. keep over a thousand people afloat all on their laptops at home, yeah. getting phones to people. So I think this really has shown people what really are innovative to them and what they really need and really guides them to what they really need versus just the nice to haves. Yeah. And just for context, what would the time frame normally have been for that tool that was bought overnight? How long, if you had to put a, put well, a number on it? Well, <laughs> actually, before then, it was already about four months. Yeah. Me bringing it in, introducing it to different groups, and it was there for about four months, and we're still going back and forth on it. And then this right. happened, and literally, they bought it on Friday, <laughs> and they told me on Monday that the, we, had, we now have licenses. Yeah, and you talked about survival mode, and Terry, you talked about putting out the fires, right? And hoping for permanence and I say the word hoping there deliberately because I think that is a good end result if some of these things are lasting I guess time will tell ultimately <laughs> as you think about how the uh, putting your innovators hat on as things have changed over time at a glacial pace and how they're changing now what's your and what everyone has said so far, what are you excited about? What are you seeing that you're like, wow, I'm really hopeful. And Tao is certainly uh, an optimist, turning negatives into positives already. <laughs> you know, what, what's your view on this? Are you an optimist? Are you a pessimist? Are you waiting and seeing what happens and then making a decision then? I'm the eternal optimist. <laughs> you need to get t-shirts, me too. <laughs> That's right, yeah. yeah. Actually, I should have got one and worn it. I think that it depends how brave we want to be in, in the legal ecosystem because a lot of the gaps that we're seeing right now, they've really been highlighted because of the circumstances that we've, we find ourselves in, but they're not new. Yeah. We've been seeing these issues and problems for a long time. The, the question for me is whether we as an industry, as an ecosystem, as a profession, willing to say right now, this is our opportunity for change. We're drawing the line in the sand and acknowledging that things haven't been working. And let's face it, they haven't been. If we just look at the issue around access to justice, certainly in my part of the world, but I think this stat tragically holds true pretty much all around the world, as we sit here today, we know that 80 to 85% of people who have a legal problem do not approach lawyers to get legal advice or help. So if our current system and all the aspects of that system is really only serving 10 to 15% of our population, how can we seriously and honestly sit here and say it's not something that needs fixing? And so for me, this is the opportunity. That's the optimism for me to now have had not just seen that for a long time, but actually seen in stark reality where those gaps lie. You know, 
that's what it's brought to the forefront. But to approach it, as I was saying earlier, not as a Band-Aid or patch approach, but to actually approach it with doing a lot and changing a lot, and it's going to need a change, a systemic change across the entire continuum of the system from when we start educating lawyers and bringing in other specialists into the profession all the way through to the aspects of delivery. And I think Barbara highlighted a number of those and, and Tao and Pretty have as well, where, where we have to get behind that and make a change. There will be an aspect and there will be um, resistance to that. There always has been and there always will be for change because it's basically not that comfortable. But we have to create a system where we put the clients first. We have to. Because that's why most of us at the end of the day went into law or got involved with law firms in whatever capacity we do it. And so I'm the eternal optimist because it's our opportunity. But I want to say on the flip side that the other aspect to it is this, and, and to pick up on the survival kind of comment that was made earlier, if we don't do it, others will continue to do it for us. We used to call um, this group of people alternative legal service providers. They're not alternative anymore. They're mainstream. And more people looking at whichever way you want to look at it, will continue to jump in. So we need to do it, but if we don't do it, others will do it for us because the client demand and need and level of sophistication with things like technology has changed permanently yep. and they will not go backwards. So if we want to do it or we don't, I believe there will be the demand for change and it will become more vocal and it will become more widespread if it's not already, quite frankly. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I, I totally agree because ultimately there is a need out there. There is a demand out there and it's for someone to step up. And if it is in you know, the group of law firms or legal professionals in that manner, then yes, as you said, the alternative providers and they certainly are not alternative anymore, mm -hmm. right? they will or somebody else will frankly there will be there will be continual resistance and that's good actually resistance is good yeah. um, because people need to feel the pain in some way in order to actually want to cherish what comes next because that's what makes it sticky once you go over the hurdle you're like okay great i did that now let me hold on to this for a little bit until i have to grow even more and you talked about access to justice. You talked about the ecosystem. And as you did that, I saw very timely Barbara drank from her Ilta mug. I know it's a branding. And so I know you're a big believer in the legal ecosystem. And certainly as you were talking about it, and as from a litigation point of view, and from a very, seems like a very complex legal system point of view, what's, what goes through your mind? And I guess the, I want to frame this in the view of, Let's look at the spectrum of innovation. And you mentioned as you talk to others, both in Brazil and otherwise, you are probably hearing about bleeding edge technology. And you're also hearing about people moving from file systems to DMSs, right? And I would challenge that they're both innovations in their own rights, because to Tao's point, you are exposing people to something they don't know. You know, how do you frame that to your stakeholders, to your clients, whether they're internal or external? I was just thinking today about 
how important it is to listen to other people. And sometimes other people are just your coworkers, people from your team, people from your... And I was thinking, when we started doing all this kind of adventures, because I, I went to, to Expo in Amsterdam last year, and I went to, to Utah Con and other crazy spots, crazy places. I, I spent 17 days in, in California visiting law firms and visiting, doing some crazy stuff that I wouldn't think my, the partners of my firm, they will allow me to do. But I had the courage to ask and to bring the, the, the possibility to them. I am saying there was this opportunity and I wanted to grab it. And I asked them to help and and I think that now that everybody is uh, sheltering and everybody is there at their places, everybody, you don't have to knock at someone's door. Everybody's just the same, just as far as everybody else. So we just have to send an email or to engage in virtual meetings. You just have to, everybody has the same opportunity to have a voice. And then we can listen to everybody too. When we have multiple offices, we don't have that problem. No, they're far away. No, they won't do it. No, everybody, the, the distance is the same. The world is just like very small now. And look at us. We're, very, we're everywhere, every corner of the world, and we're here together. And what I grab here and the big lesson, my biggest takeaway from this moment and in, in, in shapes of innovation and, and the future and attending our, our clients and, and, and stakeholders is to listen and to give a voice to people that usually wouldn't have because one day I had a voice, somebody listened to me and now I can, put, that's what I think. And, and some, that's something that Ilta you're talking about, but Ilta gave this opportunity to me because I went there like a, a Brazilian girl that wanted to to learn and then they gave me a voice even in my country that the first time I spoke in my country was in a Newton event so it was crazy and I'm very grateful for them to, to for that and for my for the partners of my firm for giving attention to what I had to say even though I, I didn't know what I, was what I was talking about I said oh I learned something about knowledge management let's try it and I said they could just have said ah no She's crazy. Or maybe I sometimes I thought, no, they said, go girl, just shut up and do some stuff. And But no, they were really listening and other people felt empowered to, to speak. And, and in this way, we listen to our clients. And so we created a culture where people can be heard. They don't have to be afraid to speak. And with that, we'll thrive and, 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 and innovate and go through this. and use this crisis as an opportunity to get better, to get more organized, to use people that were usually on the, on the courts going to hearings and now they don't have hearings to go to because everything is suspended right now. So we're using these people to engage in other circumstances, to work with other teams because we're not, we're keeping all of our lawyers. So we're using them in other activities they're bringing collaboration and they're bringing different points of views. They yeah. should, they're saying it, what would get better in some kind of, of matters. And it's been really enriching. So it's in, in terms of knowledge management and innovation as well. We're, we've been doing some nice stuff. So the biggest takeaway for me and thinking about this panel was like listening, just listen yeah. and things will come up and that's it.
Yeah, no, that that's amazing. And as you were thinking about that, I, I thought about actually a lot of your titles and what you guys do today. And it's interesting, or maybe, and you, you probably already know this, all, all of you are saying very similar points. And I made this point when we spoke before that I wish I could disagree with a lot of what you're saying, because it makes way more interesting watching. These are all relevant points and certainly hoping, the, especially the access to justice point, the fact that the world has become such a small place, the fact that we're removing a lot of these physical barriers, quite literally, maybe putting some in place, depending on your perspective, means that we can address a lot of these things for the long term. And I, just like Terry, I'm an eternal optimist. I'm hoping these things actually make a big difference. But from a more, and we can't solve all the problems today, unfortunately, from a more practical point of view, I guess one of the things that happens, certainly I've seen it happen, is depending on the hat that you wear, people tend to listen to you more. I could say something and then pretty you'd go in and you wear your consultant hat. You're like, oh, we have to listen to her. She's a consultant. She knows what she's talking about. I wish it was uh, that easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how, how, and you talked about the focus on training adoption and Barbara talked about collaboration. And part of, I think, your role and frankly, all of your roles is being that glue that brings together all the different functions and units to make sure that in the absence of them listening to each other, you're the echo chamber that actually echoes their voices. How do you enable that? How do you empower people to be able to do that? Wow. <laughs> so, Again, I think it very much is based on the sentiments that everyone has already mentioned. So I think what Barbara was saying that there's different elements, there's elements of someone willing to listen mm -hmm. because you can scream from the rooftops, but if you're falling on deaf ears, it really doesn't matter what you're saying. I think it's also about understanding functionalities within firms and who the best person is to speak to. So this is me when I was working for a legal tech provider. It was very important to know who to go to because one, you slow down the process by going to the wrong person, but also it's, it's just, I guess it's easier to be able to go to the right person and they understand what it is that needs to be done. Now, as Tao said, often you're bringing things to people that they haven't necessarily seen before or been exposed to before, but that's where that willingness to listen comes in. I think also, yeah, I guess a part of it is actually having some kind of credibility to who you are. As you said, all of us have in some way touched on knowledge or innovation in the past. And so it gives some credibility. And I'll be honest, when I go in as a consultant, it does give you a little bit of an upper hand just because you are a third party coming in with a myriad of knowledge. As you said, I've been to different firms. I've seen it in different ways. So I would be able to come in with five different options depending on what's best for the firm. But I do think that it really depends on how the firm understands what's needed, whether there's a change that needs to be made and how much they actually 
have already created that sort of culture within the firm. So there are some firms who are very into trying things, the whole fail fast that Terry was talking about. They're very open to it. They know that this is something that is better to do, fail fast, test it out. If it doesn't work, move on. Others are a little bit more resistant. So in those situations, you have to try other methods. You have to you have to reach a point where somebody understands. I think it's that level of understanding why you're doing what you're doing and why you're coming in with these suggestions. Because I think, again, if they don't have that base level of understanding that change needs to happen on some level, then it's very difficult to be able to introduce anything because there's a lot of resistance that comes with it. So I do think that those are probably like the most important points when going in and trying to create change. Okay, so you're basically trying to lower the resistance, going to the right people, which helps to hopefully ensure that you are failing fast. I think, and Tao, you mentioned it earlier, I believe, which was all around how you are creating more custom solutions. I'm just going to call them that based on the situation. And in theory, failing fast sounds wonderful. And by the way, hard question coming. So just brace yourself. (laughs) In theory, failing fast is wonderful, but it comes at a cost, especially when you're part of a business. How do you navigate that? And thinking from the viewpoint of there's budgets involved, there's resources involved. People are probably pulling you in 500 different directions and you're trying to deliver the right thing to the right people at the right time and saying, hey, there's a price tag that comes with this and it could be time, resource, or money. How do you navigate that, that whole mess? I think the answer is accepting failure as part of your job. I think being part of being a KM attorney is being a bridge, and you touched on this a little bit earlier, Ab, in terms of the roles that we all wear, the hats that we all wear, the different roles that we each take when we sign up to be an innovator or a KM person, is to be the bridge between the staff and the attorneys, because there are, they work in different universe almost, and I see myself as translating the language of say the the IT people or the business people over to the attorneys to to help them see what's important to each other because there are things that the attorneys work on that because it's the day to them, they're so used to it, but they don't realize how important it is for the staff to know about what they're doing. And along the way, for concrete examples, when I bring in tools that I think are useful, but then either it doesn't work for the business side or it doesn't work for the staff side, you just take one and you put it in your back pocket and you learn from it. I think one of the things, who who said it? I think it might've been Einstein, don't quote me, but uh, (laughs) uh, failure is the mother to success. And I think that's really true where you accept that uh, most of the time you will fail. And I make that very clear upfront, especially now it's really, amazing how much demand there is for KM projects in the current environment. And because of our small team, I do make it very clear upfront how much time I have. 
what the ETA is for the projects that they're requesting. And some of them, I tell them, listen, this is a great idea, but based on our IT staff, I can't get this to you before December of this year. I just can't. And I yeah. want to be honest with every team member that I work with in terms of how fast or slow I can deliver or whether I can even deliver it to them. And as Terry said, and also Barbara, you touched on this too about uh, moving your staff from doing from one thing to another when the courts are closed, now you staff them on something else. That ability to be agile and to pivot from uh, telling people that you can't do this for them now, but you can do it for them later. It's not so much as a no as it is, give me a little bit more time. Because Barbara said, you have to take care of your clients. And for a KM attorney, my clients are the attorneys first and foremost, and then second, the staff that I work with. And I want to be open and upfront about what I can and cannot give them. Mm -hmm. And when it's a cannot, I tell them, it's not really a cannot. Let me just figure out a way to get it to you, but it just might not be in the timeframe that you would like. Yeah, and I guess we're asked, yeah, please, Harry, go ahead. But I was just gonna say on the failing fast thing, it depends what you're failing on yeah. and it, def- it, it depends on what the outcomes were going to be. So you're not going to look to experiment with every idea that comes across the board, but you are looking for those ideas to be generated across the board. And I think that's really important. And if your outcome and the thing that you're focused on in that is only what you initially started with wanting to achieve, then you're not looking at outcomes the right way. So some aspects of the project might fail, but some aspects of the project might succeed and you're going to learn from all of that anyway and iterate into something else. And if you're choosing at the outset to experiment with things that matter the most to your clients, then you're automatically going through several filters. And here's some other outcomes that people often don't focus enough on, but I think Tao in particular focused on this, some of the outcomes are the ability to learn the skill set of the group that you bring together and understand them better and what they can contribute. So there's a knowledge aspect to that. There's an experience aspect to that. There's a collegial and collaborative aspect to that that will happen by virtue of working on that project, regardless of what the other ultimate outcome might be. When I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about putting those filters or thoughts through that whole process as well, and not just the end, the the initial idea of what the end result should look like. Yeah, and, and that's absolutely right because the framing of it matters so much. Uh, I was uh, listening to someone uh, just the other week um, who's a publisher, and and they said basically creating the work is 50% of what you do. The other 50% is packaging the work because frankly, otherwise no one picks it up and takes it seriously. And for all of you, that becomes super important. And I've said this million times before and I certainly didn't come up with it. I wish I did. That you have to think of all of these projects as some sort of a hypothesis, right? Failing is okay. That's one result. Uh, Succeeding is the other result. But the key thing is you have to learn from whatever is going on and certainly almost no project is just one big thing that means success or failure and certainly all the learnings that come with it at different milestone points are super important Uh, so that becomes crucial and i like the idea and listening to all of you today it's evident that you have to be super empathetic 
and you have to be understanding of not just what KM is, what innovation is, because I wish the world was that black and white sometimes, but it's not. Uh, you have to be able to understand what's going on and really focus on the, the client the client deliverable, right? What, what are you trying to accomplish? And to all of you, you may have different clients at different times of the day. And as we start a mindful of time, as we start getting to a limit, um, one of the things I want to start wrapping up around is a, the world is as some people in the audience or otherwise would have gone through a crisis in the past professionally, right? So that may have been the financial crisis of 08, 09. This is not that, this is not even close to that for one, because technology is a significant like a factor of 10 faster, better, improved than it was at that point. And the fact that we can have this conversation in this way is evidence of that. How does that, and I'm not saying people are thinking and comparing it to that, but how does that actually factor into the practicalities of things? Someone put their hand up and talk about this. Um, otherwise, I'll, I'll certainly nominate people. I know you all have ideas around this. As we do that, and then the last point, whilst the other people are talking, feel free to rebut. And then to wrap up, I do want to end up on there's a lot of wonderful things that have been packed in today. What's the one either action point or key thing that you want people to take away from your reality of what you're doing today, what you're thinking about and what, they, what you want them to think about? So the first thing, how is the reality of dealing with this today uh, going to feel different? And if people are comparing it to, look, we went through this, we were okay. How has that changed today? Go on, Terry. I can start, but I know everyone's going to have wonderful <laughs> things to say about this. How is it different? Because it's global. Yeah. Because everyone has been touched by it in every possible way. And the use of technology, we could quote any stats that we want to, but they've been just phenomenal. And they've been across the board. It just doesn't matter what generation you belong to, what industry you belong to, what country you're living in. It's been across the board. So that level of uh, technical capability has now risen and, and it won't go backwards. You can't take knowledge out of people's heads. <laughs> they have it and they know what to do with it. So I think the use of technology has changed enormously. The timeframes have changed enormously. I've mentioned before, but I think we're looking increasingly in law as describing our businesses as uh, customer-driven, tech-fueled and data-driven as well. They're the kind of the key factors that I think are coming out of it. So we're not going to, we're not going to basically come back to zero. Wherever and whoever starts, where we start is not going to be where we were. That is a given for all of those reasons. I think it's changed enormously for that reason. I think it's very different from anything else we've ever done before or been involved in before for that reason. And I think our expectations and our needs have changed accordingly. And we're, we won't be prepared to go back to zero. Fantastic. Ciao. I think you're right. I think this is pushing us, um, everybody, out of their comfort zone. It's placing into, especially in the legal community, 
uh, and in the bigger legal market, Brazil, New York, California, Europe, in London, there have always been people who talk about how much do we allow attorneys and staff to work from home on a limited basis, special schedules. But now, with this is the most concrete example. Everybody's working from home and people can see that it's it can be done. Yeah. But it is a double-edged sword. I was There was an article this morning about Zoom fatigue where people are getting, they're starting to get tired of being on Zoom all the time with their coworkers because the presence of the technology actually forces you to pay attention more and be on more versus if you are in a meeting room. So there is that as well. But Terry said, this is really the biggest proof of concept that we have. And I think in the beginning, everybody, again, to quote Terry, everybody was just, it's a Band-Aid. The first couple of weeks, everything that we implemented was just a Band-Aid because we didn't know how long this was going to last. And now, um, looking into the foreseeable future, this lasting for a couple of more months, now we're making plans to have much more concrete plans about innovation, about investments in types of technology, yeah. about what types of investments and what type of personnel. Will it be more data analysts? Will it be more KM or less KM attorneys? That will vary from firm to firm, but this really definitely has challenge law firms to see where they want to invest in and putting their dollars in the amount that works the best for them in areas that work the best for them, especially for bigger law firms. We've had this push from clients in the past couple of years to be more efficient, to improve our billing system, and this will force that. Yeah. Barbara? I was just, yeah, I won't... <laughs> echo to that and it's yeah and one thing that i think that i would add is this now since we don't have to travel to go to conferences that you have these events it's the information is available to everywhere in the firm everyone and we can share because it's something that when you go and then you come back and said it was amazing everybody's doing this we should try that and as maybe it wasn't that way but now they can see literally everything that was said and like today earlier today i was sharing this this virtual round table that i mentioned i sent to to people to managers from the from the staff of our firm because maybe watching this and they wouldn't go to that meeting because it's only for lawyers mainly for partners of law firms they would understand more of the business of law firms so we have something for our financial and administrative stuff and hr so they would listen what the law firms are doing they were more empathetic on what the needs of the lawyers that they are serving so information is available so there's no coming back to zero there's no but there's we're now building something for the future the information the skills that we learn the this the culture that we're building with our people this is gonna stay and this is what we're gonna bring with us for what comes next so maybe that's what just hold on to pretty yeah so i think Obviously, as, I, as everyone has already said, the sentiments are already there, but I think the one additional thing I would add is acceleration. I think that a lot of it has been forced. So where people were very used to a certain way of working, and if it was a certain way that they've been working for many years, they were a little bit more resistant or they didn't feel that the change was necessary 
they don't want to use certain types of technology because it was already working. So why change it? I think now they're being forced to do it because everyone's at home. They have no other way of communicating with people. They have to use Zoom. They have to use Outlook. They have to use teams or whatever form of technology it is that the firm is using but they have to do it and so everyone's being forced to change their working style whether they want to change it or not or whether they were ready to change it or not whether their mindset was there they have to do it whether they want to or not so i think that's the one thing i would say that's different this time around is the acceleration of having to change yeah and let me try and sum up what all of you have said throughout no easy task, but I'll, I'll have a stab at it. And it reminded me as you were talking uh, of a book um, called The Hard Things About Hard Things, because frankly, what we're talking about here, doing hard things. The comfort blanket has frankly been ripped off people without any expectations, without any guidance. And that's why we're all here to provide some of that comfort, to provide the guidance. And ultimately, it requires people to have to make difficult decisions, to make tough decisions. It requires them to act with grit and persistence, but leverage the community, the ecosystems, as we all touched upon quite a lot, for them to wear many hats to pivot, whether they're a lawyer, whether they are a, a innovation manager, whether they're a knowledge manager or something else entirely. And Barbara, you touched on this just now that there is a whole business of law. It's easy to forget that. It's easy, very easy to forget that actually, because sometimes we just hear about the limelight that the lawyers get, but it requires an army to run that, and that whole function. And it's going to be driven by culture, it's going to become much more equalized. Terry, your words of you know being tech-fueled, data-driven, and customer-driven, as you all echoed, it becomes so, so important. And I'm hoping, uh, as you've all said, it does not reset to zero. And we move forward into a much more fruitful future that is actually becoming of the age that the world is moving into, the phase that we move into, where all of these things do matter a lot more. People are more open to embracing them. Yes, they may have Zoom fatigue. You suffer through that for a little bit as you learn to actually have that as the normal. It is just what it is. So yeah, I get, hopefully that's somewhat of an adequate summary of what you've all said. But in wrapping up, what is the one, one takeaway, one sentence that someone can tweet out with your names on it? from this and Terry I'm going to start with you since you are the instigator of this group it can be done fantastic pretty stay open-minded Tao give it that personal touch and Barbara just listen to your crew and your friends and your team wonderful and I thank you all this wonderful panel you made my job so easy and uh, thank you so much for sharing everything thank you for giving up a bit of your time and certainly at a very unsociable hours and um, for everyone listening and watching uh, please do comment below and all the contact details for all of these wonderful people are there so I'm sure they would love to get in touch and if you just scratch the surface if you want to have further conversations with them please do reach out by their specified methods and thank you all Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed that discussion. 
Before you go, please share this with one other person and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This podcast was produced by me, Abhijat Saraswath. Paula Chrysostomu is the manager for the show and Pretty Saraswath is the content strategist. You can listen to all previous episodes and reach out to us at fringelegal.com. Thank you.